If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to Revelation chapter 20. That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. If you've been with us for any amount of time, or if you are visiting for the first time, we have been slowly working our way through the book of Revelation. And we've already been through chapters 1 through 19, and so we're in the home stretch, the final three chapters of this book. And every week we take the opportunity to read the, the chapter in its entirety because we're reminded in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 that blessed are those who read and hear the words written down in this prophecy. And so we want to be blessed, we want to be encouraged, we want to hear what this book has to offer us in its entirety. And so we want to read that chapter in full. But before we read the chapter, and you're going to see why in just a second, but I want to tell you a story about when I was a child. You see, in my childhood, there were some certain moments that happened that put the fear of God in me, maybe even before I believed in God. You see, I remember this one moment where I started to drag a piece of furniture across my mom's wood floors. And I know you can probably imagine, maybe you have had the same situation in your life at one point, whether as a child or as a parent, and you start to see the caches that it's leaving in those wood floors, and my mom was furious. She was so mad. It put the fear of God in me, and the, what happened next, I can, I can only tell you that it was not great, but... That's kind of where I started to think this must be what Judgment Day is going to be like. Just the parents all out fury on the child for completely messing up, for doing all the things wrong, for not doing things right and according to the plan, right? That's kind of what I thought Judgment Day was going to be like. But I want us to read this chapter today, and I want us to put it in context and then start to understand what does it really mean when that final day comes and we stand before Father God for judgment. Well, let's read these words in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them. The judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their witness of Jesus and because of the word of God, and who also had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no authority. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are finished, Satan will be released from his prison. 
and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and the fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sits upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we hear these words this morning, my heart is that we would be encouraged, that we would hear such life-giving words that come from you. Lord, that as we read about judgment, we would understand with our heart and our minds open to hear what it is that you have to say to us. God, for these words, they are encouraging. Because of Christ Jesus. So let us hear them faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get started, I know the first thing that you probably have questions about is this first part of chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Austin, tell me about this thousand years. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you too much. There is so much in that one little passage that scholars and theologians have been debating for years and years and years and years and years. And there's so many different positions of it. And I'm just going to share with you what those positions are. The first position is one called premillennialism. It's a belief that is there is going to be a literal 1,000-year reign. That at the end of the days, that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to establish a 1,000-year reign on the earth. Then there's the post-millennials. These are the ones that believe that the 1,000 years is before Jesus comes back. And Jesus isn't going to return until there's this period of time on the earth where there is perfection. The gospel has gone out across the entire world and peace reigns for a thousand years and then Jesus returns. Let me just share that I don't think it's that one. That seems to works righteousness, that we have to achieve perfection before Jesus comes back, but there is only one who is perfect, and it's Jesus. And the last position is the amillennial position, meaning that there isn't going to be a literal 1,000 years, that the 1,000 years is actually a metaphor for the church age, 
And that during this time, we look forward to this return of Jesus that is to come. And so you have premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. And now, after hearing those three, and maybe you can guess which one I fall into from some of the ways that I've preached through the book of Revelation, but I'm not going to share that with you in particular, because I don't really believe that, that whether or not this millennial reign is a literal 1,000 years or a metaphorical 1,000 years or somewhere in between, I don't know that it's really particularly relevant to what we should be seeing in this passage. I think the real focus is that there is a contrast between this 1,000-year reign of Christ to somebody else in Revelation that was given reign on the earth, that was given authority and power. You see, if you just turn Revelation back a few chapters to chapter 11, we recall that the dragon was given authority on the earth for 1260 days, 42 months or three and a half years. He was given rule and reign to do as he wished during that time period. Three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, whatever number you want to throw out, it is incomparable to the 1,000 years of Jesus. The reign that, that Christ gets is far greater, far more magnificent than that of the enemy. And I think that the point of talking about the 1,000-year reign of Jesus is that Jesus wins. That his reign is greater, his reign is better, his reign is more perfect than the enemies. The enemy gets nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus is the winner. Jesus gets it all. It doesn't matter when there's this short period of time that the enemy seems to have the ability to do whatever he wants on the earth to persecute the people of God, it is incomparable to Jesus' reign, to Jesus' kingdom, to the kingdom that he establishes. Jesus is the victor, and his reign and rule is far greater than the enemy's. It's far greater. Let me kind of bring that into some today's perspective, right? Let's, let's think about our nation, our country. You see, every four years we have the opportunity to elect somebody to run this country, to sit in the executive seat as president. Four years. How similar is that? To this three and a half years given to the enemy. How similar is that? And I bring that up because I feel like every time there's an election cycle, when the person that we want to win loses and the opposing candidate wins, we lose it. 
We're like, oh my goodness, the, the world is coming to an end. Our nation is going to end. He's going to run it into the ground. He doesn't know what he's doing. His policies are so bad. We get so worked up over a candidate that gets four years. Worst case scenario, they get eight. But four years, in comparison to a country that's been around for 250, and we're still standing. In 250 years, every four years, somebody was elected to run the country. But even compared, our country has only been around for 250 years, and Jesus, Jesus gets a thousand. It's four times longer than that of our country. It's incomparable. And the four years when we elect somebody and we set ourselves up on Facebook to be so against that candidate and so against the people that elected him, we get so worked up. And my question is, what are we doing? What are we doing when we get so worked up over a political candidate that we disagree with? And then we share so much about how much we dislike that person. It's tough. Because I think that what this 1,000 years is really about, it's about putting things into eternal perspective. And I'm going to come back to that later as we talk about judgment. But eternal perspective is so important for us to understand. Because when we start to put things into eternal perspective, then four years is really insignificant. In the short amount of time that the enemy is given to persecute the earth is really insignificant compared to eternal perspective. And compared to a thousand year reigns, compared to the win, the victory of Jesus Christ. We have to start putting things into eternal perspective. Every bit of our lives, every scenario, every situation, what's the eternal perspective here? Okay, four years is a drop in a bucket, a drop in the ocean, mind you, compared to eternity. What does four years matter in this earthly life when we could be sharing the gospel of Jesus. When we could be sharing the gospel, the testimony, the witness of Christ and what he did on the cross. When I think of this kind of eternal perspective and short-lived time periods for those that rule on the earth, I can't help but turn back to David and Saul. And, and Saul desires to end David because David was anointed to become king. Anointed to become king after Saul because Saul wasn't doing such a hot job. And Saul wasn't happy with this, and so he's like, I'm going to end David. I'm going to persecute David. And there are so many moments where David's like, you know what? I could just end Saul right here in this cave as Saul is relieving himself. I could just end it and I could become king. 
But David stays his hand because he has eternal perspective of what God had promised David. David will be king. And he doesn't have to kill Saul in order to do so. David will be king. And not only will he be king, but God's promise to David was to establish an eternal kingdom. An eternal lineage. Eternal perspective. And with that in mind, it's through the lineage of David that we get to Jesus. It's through the lineage of David that we get to Jesus. And that eternal kingdom becomes a reality. And so the problem is that when we don't have eternal perspective and when we try to put our political opponents into our own hands, we take glory away from God. We take glory away from Jesus. It never glorifies Him when we talk more about our political leanings than we talk about His kingdom. When we set ourselves up to be against a certain group of people because of what they believe, rather than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus as what we believe. And trying to get them to also see with eternal perspective. Because remember, we are reminded in chapter 27 through 10 that Satan doesn't win. It doesn't matter if you think that whoever is running the country is doing a bad job. They don't win. Their time is limited. Satan's time is limited. He will be condemned to eternal punishment. And not by any other hand than God's. We don't have to take it into our hands. We don't have to punish wickedness in this world. God's got it. God is in control. God is sovereign. His will will be done whether or not. His will will be done. So eternal perspective is important even as we walk into these verses about the judgment. Because eternal perspective provides us the lens through which we make all of our decisions. Let me say that one more time. Eternal perspective is important because it provides the lens through which we make all of our decisions. And Judgment Day is particularly about our decisions. It's about our decisions. I mean, just hear this. And then standing there, I saw the dead, verse 12, the great and the small standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from these things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Decisions will be made. We will make choices in our life. Then every single one of them is going to be written down. Let me just be clear. I'm not looking forward to the day 
that those books are open and I'm standing before God. Because there are going to be things that are written in the book of accounts that I am not proud of. That break my heart. Things that I'm like, Lord, do we have to read that one out loud? Could you just, could you just not? Like, like, okay, you can read like this list of things, but Jesus, there are some things that I'm just like, yeah, let's just not, let's just not read that one out loud. But there's an account. They're going to be opened. And there is not one person that has ever lived, that was ever created, that will not stand before God at his judgment seat and have their deeds read off to them. Now, I want to make a quick caveat to that. Because, yes, I think it is really important that we understand that everything we do we have to take account for. But I don't want to stand here and say that and forget about grace. I don't want us to forget about Jesus and his work. Because the reality is for us that yes, I am not justified by my works, by my deeds, by the accounts written in that book because I can't work my way to heaven and to that I respond with a resounding and glorious hallelujah hallelujah that it's not based off of my deeds that determines whether or not I get into heaven because simply put I cannot work out my sinfulness Isaiah 64 6 reminds us that all of our righteousness, all of our works of righteousness are still like dirty rags before God. Just think about that for a second. Your works of righteousness, your good deeds are still dirty. <clears throat> They're still gross. They don't compare to the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Every single one of us. And so it's not about your works. You can't outdo God. You can't outpay God. You can't outdo good to God. You can't make up in good works what you have done in evil deeds. You or me, it's impossible. But that is why two volumes were opened, right? It just, just wasn't the volumes of books that were opened with all the accounts of our deeds, but it was also another book was opened, which is the book of life. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But for everyone's name who's written in the Lamb's book of life, fire isn't your story. Fire isn't your end, but eternal life with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and everybody else who walks into eternity. That's the good news. Praise the Lord for the good work of Jesus on the cross who paid the debt that we could not pay for our sin, that we would be receiving His righteousness 
not our own, but his righteousness. And that our name would be found written in the book of life. Hallelujah. And so if you have received and believed in the gospel of Jesus, your name is written there. Your name is written there. And so you aren't justified by your works. You're justified by the work of Christ on the cross. And so your name will be in the Lamb's book of life. And you'll step into eternity. But we still have to answer for our works. Our deeds will still be read out to us on that day. We'll have to hear them. And praise the Lord that we won't hear them with guilt or shame because of Jesus. But right now and still, my brokenness, I'm like, God, I don't want to hear it. I don't want others to hear how messed up I am. But we will be judged. And you might be asking yourself, Austin, that's not, that's not in the, anywhere else in the Bible, is it? Like, it's not really there. Well, let's look at the Old Testament. Job chapter 34, verse 11, For he pays a man according to his work. He makes him find it according to his way. Yeah. God repays a man for his work. God repays a man for his work. Or Jeremiah 17, verse 10, says this, I, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the inmost being, and even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God gives man according to his heart, to the inmost Ways his works and his deeds to the fruit that he bears, right? That's in the Old Testament. And you're like, well, certainly it's not in the New Testament. Jesus never talked about that. Certainly. Well, these are the words of Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay each one according to his deeds. Jesus said it. He's going to repay each one to, according to his deeds when he returns. Upon his return with Father God, there's the judgment seat. And each one will answer for his deeds in his life. We're going to have to answer for it. Romans 14, verse 12. So then each one of us, and he's speaking to Christians, will give an account of himself to God. We're going to give an account. And so I don't want you to be led astray to think that you're justified and therefore you can do whatever you want. You can sin as much as you want. But I'm reminded by the words of Paul also in Romans. Just because grace abounds, does that mean that I can sin? No, certainly not. Don't let sin abound in your life. Just because you are 
justified by the work of Christ on the cross. I think the reality is that we have to realize it's kind of a James issue that faith without works is dead. And what I think it really means is you will demonstrate that you have faith because of your works. Your faith bears good fruit. Remember what Jeremiah said, right? He said that in the inmost being, even so God is to give each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. What does fruit come from? Fruit is a Galatians issue, right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit within us. And so when we have faith and we have received the Holy Spirit, then we bear good fruit. But I want to read from Galatians chapter 5, but I want to start in verse 19 because I want us to hear what it looks like to be fleshy, what it looks like to be in the flesh and not of the Spirit, what evil deeds could be done. And now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that we aren't going to do some of this stuff. I'm not saying that we're not going to have moments of weakness and we fall into sin and one of these becomes one of the things we fall into. But mind you, this should not be what it looks like to live a Christian existence, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know God. To know God means that I want to not walk in these things. And by walk, I mean practice these habitually. If you find yourself given to fits of anger, over and over and over again, test yourself. If you find yourself in moments of selfish ambition, which I have, oh my goodness, have I found myself in moments of selfish ambition. But if it's your story, test yourself. Because you're going to be judged according to your deeds. You're going to have to answer for those works. But here's what the fruit of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Faith without works is dead. Because faith invites the Holy Spirit to indwell in you and produce good fruit. And I love that last line, against such things there is no law. You can't be judged wrongly for the fruit of the Spirit, for the good fruit, for the good works. You can't be condemned for them. There is no such law against such things. And praise the Lord that he's been doing a work in me. I mean, look, throughout the Bible, it talks about all kinds of different things that are bad fruit. You know, I look back even just at this list and I'm like, man, jealousy, 
enmities, envying. I have all that stuff. Grumbling, complaining. Man, I was the complainer a year ago. People didn't want to be around me. But praise the Lord, I think I've become less of a complainer. At least I hope so. I hope you would come to me and you're like, I want to be around you. You don't complain so much anymore. You're fun to be around. You're encouraging. You're loving. You're gentle. You're kind. Those are the things. And let me tell you, people want to be around people that produce fruit in their life, produce good Holy Spirit fruit. They don't want to be around people that are fleshy, complaining, grumbling, envying, jealous, self-ambitious, just running over people. And I say people don't want to be around you because I think that's, that's the most important part, right, of all of this. What does this have to do with Judgment Day? What does it have to do with the great seat? Let me read these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Jumping down to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jumping to 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us to the word of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the good news of what it looks like to have good fruit, is that people want to be around you, which means you are able to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and to share with them the witness of Jesus, to share with them the gospel of Jesus, that they too might be reconciled to him. We are to be ministers of reconciliation to people in the world, to people around us. And so when I really think about what it looks like to stand before God and stand before the judgment seat and to be judged, the account that I'm going to have to get is not just about all the works of evil that I've done, but was I a reconciler in the world to bring people to Christ because of the good fruit that I bore in my life? Did people want to be around me because they saw Jesus in me? Because his righteousness flourished within me? That's what we're going to have to answer for. Are we being reconcilers to our neighbors, to our family, to friends, to strangers? 
are they seeing Jesus in us? Or are they seeing us in us? And when I stand before God, even for all of my works of unrighteousness, for all of my dirty, dirty rags before him, I hope that it also says, you reconciled people well to me. You shared the gospel with everyone you met. You bore good fruit, my son. Your name is found in the Lamb's book of life. Let's be ministers of reconciliation so that when we stand before God and those account books are opened, though eternity is in sight, let's work well for His kingdom that more brothers and sisters would be with us in eternity. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we give so much thanks and hallelujah that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, or maybe we haven't yet received Jesus, but today might be that moment. God, thank you. And Lord, as we have been reconciled to you in the work of Jesus, may we be workers of reconciliation to share the testimony of Jesus with others. That we would invite them into relationship with you, just as you have invited us into relationship with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.